Welcome to Harper Academic Calling. I'm Michael Finan, Marketing Assistant with Harper Academic. Our podcast is designed to give educators, students, as well as every reader, a behind-the-scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up-and-coming debut writers, about their books. Harper Academic calling Cass R. Sunstein. Cass is a well-known and highly regarded professor of law at Harvard University. His latest book, The World According to Star Wars, delves into the beloved saga, both the story itself and the cultural phenomenon surrounding it, and analyzes everything from what it can tell us about behavioral economics to its lessons on redemption. Although this podcast was recorded before the release of Rogue One, Listeners should be advised that this podcast does contain spoilers for Episode 7, The Force Awakens. So on the phone with us right now, we have Cass R. Sunstein, author of The World According to Star Wars. And Cass, thank you so much for uh, talking to us today. Uh, Pleasure to be here. All right. So uh, the first thing we wanted to talk about, um, so this book, The World According to Star Wars, how did uh, you get sort of the notion for this book? How did that start? Well, it started with my little boy, who was now seven, was at the time five, and he got obsessed with Star Wars. And I thought, what is going on with this movie such that someone who's five years old and, uh, you know, early part of the 21st century would love this stuff, just as people did in the uh, middle, late part of the 20th century and people all over the world. And uh, I kind of got hooked by his enthusiasm uh, combined with my own independent investigation of how uh, the amazing George Lucas came up with these these plots and these these visuals yeah fantastic and so you've um you've been a fan for a while correct yes but not a crazy fan uh as i now confess i am (laughs) so i really liked star wars uh doesn't everybody basically um for many years but i wasn't one of these people who you know lives and breathes star wars can't wait to see it for the 10th time uh, if there's a new one coming out, stays up all night because of the excitement which prevents sleep. That, 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 that's me now, I, I add. But this was not me uh, until I really got into the subject with the book. Yeah, I, well, welcome to the dark side. Um, <laughs> are, you, uh, are you seeing Rogue One this weekend? Uh, I am on the 16th of December. Uh, if my uh, wife will come, I will uh, uh, be thrilled to take her. If, if she won't, uh, then you know I'll just find someone on the street and say, "You want to come with me? I've got an extra ticket." <laughs> <laughs> well, if you come to New York, I'd be more than happy to go with you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about um, when you talk about in the book George Lucas um, coming up with Star Wars and the success of it. Um, and I'm going to repeat a question to you that you actually has one of your chapter titles. Was Star Wars awesome, well-timed, or just very lucky? I think the answer is uh, awesome, if I had to choose one. But what interested me about the question was that often the success of um, a musician, say Taylor Swift, or uh, a movie, say Star Wars, or Gone with the Wind, or a political candidate, say Barack Obama or Donald Trump, is attributed to at least awesomeness along some kind of dimension, or if not that, uh, kind of perfect fit with the cultural moment in which success is obtained. 
but I think that's usually a mistake, that there's a lot of serendipity and accident and kind of uh, an early Zoom with interest that could have gone the other way that um, that is, is, makes us after the fact think, oh, that was inevitable, just too awesome. But in fact, it was kind of serendipity. Uh, with Star Wars, I, I ultimately opt for awesomeness. Um, that might be my heart getting better, the better of my head. Um, I do think it kind of was something that had never been seen before. Uh, but there's no question that the fact that it got a kind of cascade or a bandwagon of interest that created a uh, higher and higher volume of enthusiasm in the early stages, that was really important for it. So you talk about um, cascades a lot. Could you, um, could you elaborate a little more on what you mean by that exactly? Yeah, so a cascade is when you have something. It can be a product, it can be a newspaper, it can be a person who gets uh, early enthusiasm. So uh, it could be, let's say, uh, a, a kind of phone that people are liking. And then if they see other people are liking it, then the people who are, let's say, 15th in a kind of queue might think, oh, the first 14 like it. It's probably pretty good. And then the 15th person who buys it doesn't necessarily love it, but is adding to the volume of the, uh, of the group. And so for... Uh, a political candidate, uh, a rebellion, as in the Arab Spring, probably the American Revolution too, there's a cascade where the early enthusiasts are uh, followed by the kind of skeptics. And once the kind of skeptics have joined the early enthusiasts, then the real skeptics join because how can so many people be wrong? And then once the real skeptics and the kind of skeptics and the enthusiasts are in, then uh, the kind of intransigent people, seemingly intransigent people, are in too. And that's what happens with the rebellion. That's how, you know, apartheid left South Africa. That's uh, how um, the Arab Spring occurred not long ago. And that's what happened really with both Barack Obama and Donald Trump. Yeah, going into um, Donald Trump a bit, um, I think it goes without saying that a lot of people, um, especially people on the left, were very surprised at the results of the election. Um, do you think that all of this, both um, these cascades you talk about and um, the messages in Star Wars, because you talk a lot in the book about um, the political ramifications of Star Wars, how things in Star Wars often mirror real life, do you think Star Wars held the answers to this at all? I do. So there, there are two um, questions to which Star Wars has, I think, a pretty sharp answer. Question number one is, uh, how does an unanticipated political movement succeed? And there are actually two in Star Wars, and they're both depicted uh, brilliantly, though in kind of cartoon fashion. One political movement is the Emperor's movement to destroy the Republic, and the other is the Republic's movement to destroy the Empire. And uh, both of them happen through dynamics that are partly orchestrated by the rebels and the uh, Emperor Palpatine, and partly um, uh, uh, fueled by cascades of enthusiasm, which happened in both cases. I think what we've seen in the United States, whether you like the president-elect or not, he benefited very much from uh, a cascade effect, and he was pretty uh, self-conscious about this, saying, 
you know, everybody is joining this, and there's a lot of enthusiasm here, and the polls are showing how much people are enthusiastic. And then when he started to struggle, he said, he pointed to the polls that suggested he was doing well. And he, when that, there weren't a whole lot of those, he pointed to the crowds, and he pointed to Brexit. So he kept uh, articulating the high level of enthusiasm, which by articulating it, he hoped to uh, increase it still further. And he completely did that. So that's very much like what was depicted in in the original saga, and I gather in, in Rogue One also. In terms of the... Um, the evaluation of, of Trump, uh, whether you like him or not. So let's kind of just notice the fact that a lot of people are nervous and a lot of people are excited. Um, and we're too early to tell who's right. Uh, but Star Wars does depict very well how uh, societies often yield authority to a strong man who claims to make things great again. And uh, George Lucas actually studied world history to find domains in which uh, democracies yielded in one or another way to strongmen. And there's no question that some of the dynamics that Lucas was alert to we're seeing in various places in the world where people are saying, you know, we need someone who's going to make things right and, and kick some heads. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um... So continuing along with this um, sort of political line of thought, um, you are, um, you study constitutional law, you are an expert in the field more or less. Um, and in the book you mentioned, you talk about constitutional law in terms of how the justices look at cases and review them based on pre-existing precedents. You compare that to the way Star Wars develops and how George Lucas, as he developed the original trilogy, kind of built on things that he hadn't necessarily planned on when he started it, but then as he went along, he kind of made sure that everything fit. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. I don't think I did the best job explaining that. Thanks. This was actually in terms of writing the book. It comes up pretty late, but it was the first thing I wrote. And what I noticed investigating Lucas's own thought processes uh, was that um, he never all figured out at the beginning. He had pieces of it. He wanted to see ships kind of in in uh, kind of uh, uh, fast motion, all twisting around each other. He had some visuals, and he had uh, a picture of, uh, at one point, an old rebel and then a young rebel. Um, but what he did was to write tales that got deeper and more complicated as he wrote episodes, as we now know them, five and six, where the conception of what would actually happen in five and six wasn't something he knew when he did four. So the idea that Luke uh, and Leia are brother and sister, that's not something that was clear, probably something that was clearly not true in A New Hope. And the idea that Darth Vader was Luke's dad, I'm kind of 95% confident that Lucas didn't know that when he did A New Hope, that that was a pretty late uh, judgment on his part. And that turned everything in a new light, of course, that uh, New Hope looks a lot different once you know that they're father and son who are uh, struggling here. And that's really like how constitutional law works. And the idea is that we have in our system, the American system, I am your father moments, where uh, there will be something sad, which was not anticipated 10 years before the founding period, but it turns out to turn everything all around in a way that maybe makes 
sense, good sense of what had come before, but certainly makes different sense of it. So in terms of constitutional history, the idea that school segregation is illicit and inconsistent with our founding document, uh, at least the Civil War Amendments part of our founding document, that was uh, uh, 1954, and the Civil War had been many decades before then, and in fact, at the same period that the court decided Brown against Board of Education striking down school segregation invoked a very old part of the Constitution, the Due Process Clause from the founding period, said that forbids school segregation. And that's really an I am your father thing. It's turning the thing in a direction that maintains faith with maybe our self-understanding, but there are other ways to maintain faith with it that would be very different. And more recently, the Supreme Court's ruling saying that states have to recognize same-sex marriage, that's real I am your father stuff. It says, you know, we have a conception of dignity and uh, liberty in the United States, and uh, banning same-sex marriage is inconsistent with that. Whether or not that's convincing, it is uh, turning the narrative with this new episode, as we'll call it, in a direction that no one anticipated when most of the earlier episodes were written. That's so fascinating. I love that idea of the sort of I am your father moments in constitutional law. Yeah. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, I want to talk about The Force Awakens, the newest movie um, that came out last year, um, and the character of Rey. So you talk a bit about in the book about um, how Star Wars has a lot to say about freedom of choice, and a lot of that goes into the choices that uh, both Anakin faces in the original and the excuse me the prequel trilogy and the choices that Luke faces in the original trilogy um, but then one thing that I really loved about the Force Awakens were seeing all the choices that Rey is faced with and how she grapples with those and how that kind of makes her as much as she parallels Luke she also there are a lot of differences there did you have any thoughts on that yeah you're completely right so the, the parallels are what are I think most obvious where you know, she's kind of, uh, 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 you know, uh, someone not fated to be a hero of the galaxy like Luke. She's a scavenger, not a farm boy, but a scavenger. And when she's called to, uh, you know, claim her Jedi-ness, uh, she declines originally. She runs away. And then she claims it, not in a response to losing her parents, uh, as uh, Luke uh, metaphorically did, he lost his aunt and uncle, but in response to a uh, deep threat faced by her friend, uh, Finn. So there's similar uh, if surprise to see that within herself there's uh, a capacity for heroism and for doing something much grander than what she'd been doing for most of her life. So those are parallels. Uh, her character is different from Luke. She's uh, she, she's not, as Luke was originally, a, a goofball and a kind of uh, a kid. She's hardened, and she has a uh, ingenuity and a leadership quality that Luke acquires over time, and that makes it a very different tale where there's, in some sense, more continuity with her um, early self when she becomes, you know, a kick-ass fighter. Mm, absolutely. Actually, I have to confess, um, I do have a Ray bobblehead on the table with us right now doesn't listening to the conversation. Doesn't, doesn't everyone? They, they, they should. Have one? You only have one? 
Well, I have her, and then I have Poe Dameron as well. Okay, good. The two good. of them are hanging out with us today. Good, good. Um, I, I can't say I have bobbleheads, but I do have, as I stare, many Star Wars books on my shelf. Oh, good. <laughs> Not written by me, but written by others. That should be um, the new canon or the old expanded universe. You know, the ones I used actually for the book and that I still occasionally consult are the nonfiction. They are the uh, the the books. Chris Taylor wrote a great book about Star Wars. And there's, a, and there's a series of the makings of that have very detailed accounts. So these are, you know, how, how did it all happen? That's fantastic. Um, so now I want to talk a little bit about um, the arc of this third sequel trilogy. Um, so we have episode 7 right now out. We'll be getting episode 8 next year and then episode 9 three years from now. So in terms of all this we've talked about, in terms of um, you know the character of Rey, um, all of these political sort of mirrorings, um, how the first two trilogies are about the tragedy and redemption of Anakin slash Darth Vader, what do you see as the arc of this third trilogy? Where do you think we're headed with this? Well, my deep hope is that anything I would say would be less creative and less um, uh, surprising <laughs> than, than what they come up with. <laughs> so the, the the greatness about Star Wars, and I gather this is true of Rogue One also, is that you see a lot of stuff on the screen that you could not possibly have anticipated. Uh, I'd say at a certain level of kind of being general here, uh, I would expect that we're going to see some real darkness in episode eight and that it will have parallels to the empire strikes back in the sense of bad things happening and uh evil may be triumphant and nine will have uh victory by the good guys and redemption what i'm hoping that they find a way to to do uh, now, you can't go home again. They, they tried in The Force Awakens, which in a way I think is the glory of The Force Awakens, but also the fact that while it's terrific, in my view, it's not genius. Uh, to be genius, you, you have to do something fresh. And uh, so uh, uh, the challenge really for Nine is to do something where the good guys win and uh, secrets are revealed and um, re- redemption is had but in a way that doesn't seem, I think, for it to be to be you know, worthy of the Star Wars mantle, uh, replicating what, what Lucas did. So what I'm, what I'm hoping is you will see redemption. I think the fact that Kylo Ren uh, you know, committed this act of patricide, uh, that puts him kind of on the line as the uh, redemption figure. Uh, it's, it's harder for a kid, as Kylo kind of is, to be uh, to earn the deep feeling of audience wowness that Darth Vader did when he got redeemed. But I'm hoping we'll see redemption. So I, I, I don't see a clear path for them to do something uh, great as opposed to good, but... Uh, but they're the creative people. I'm, I'm just a law professor, so I'm hoping they'll find that path. All right, well, we will eagerly anticipate that. Um, I have two more uh, quick questions for you. Um, first, so in the book, you give the objective ranking of the episodes and all of your reasoning for that. That aside, what is your personal favorite episode? Oh, The Empire Strikes Back. Okay, it's correct. My first <laughs> it's my personal favorite, and it's the best. I have to agree with you there. <laughs> 
Uh, and then final question I have for you, um, and we ask all of our guests this question since this is primarily a podcast for professors, teachers. Uh, who was your favorite teacher that you've had? All-time favorite teacher? I'd say the best teacher I ever had was an English professor named Northrop Fry, a Canadian professor who taught, I believe, at the University of Toronto, who taught at Harvard just for one year when he was the Norton Lecturer at Harvard. And uh, it actually is very closely connected to what we're discussing because he was interested in archetypes and how fiction often, great fiction, you know, including Shakespeare and the Bible, often, well, let's put the fictional quality of the Bible, let's bracket that. Great fiction like Shakespeare and great stories like the Bible, that uh, it all often follows a, a, a path that is stylized and you can find in lots of different things. That was one of um, kind of vulgarizing Fry's genius readings of, of literature. But uh, I took a course from him on the Bible that was you know, just extraordinary in the way he would detail the, the, the arc of the various narratives in the Bible. And uh, that, I'm sure, uh, uh, influenced my, my interest in Star Wars and, uh, and the way the book came out. It's fascinating, you know, a common thread I'm finding in asking these questions is that so many authors, um, who they say is their favorite teacher and why, a lot of it ultimately does pertain to the book they've written. So it's fascinating how, you know, these things these teachers have taught you stay with you for all these years and influence your work. Yes, and uh, credit to you, I can say that until this very moment, uh, I hadn't thought who was the best teacher I ever had, and it is Northrop Fry, nor had I thought what are the deep kind of roots of my own interest in this kind of thing. And uh, tip of the hat to you, Professor Fry. <laughs> the power of teaching. Yeah. Um, all right, well, thank you so much, Cass. This has been a wonderful conversation. Um, and I look forward to seeing Rogue One, as I'm sure you are as well. Uh, I, I, I almost literally can't wait. <laughs> so I'm staring out of my office at the at the sky and thinking, is there some way that I can find my way to Rogue One now? <laughs> uh, the answer is no, but a boy can hope. Just a, just a few more sunsets, and then yeah. we'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, no okay. problem. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Harper Academic Calling. Subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite third-party app for more episodes. And be sure to visit us at harperacademic.com for more information about this and other great books.